You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. Matthew chapter 23 is where we are this evening. Matthew chapter 23. And we're looking at verses 1 through 12. Matthew 23. Read beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and keep, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher. And you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called instructors, for one is your instructor, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time in His Word tonight. Father in heaven, thank You for the consistent joy that is ours to gather together and open Your Holy Word. Again, Lord, we ask that You would teach us. We ask that Your Spirit would take His sword in hand and deal with our hearts and lives this evening in this place in a way that both convicts and exhorts in a way that tears down and builds up, in a way that corrects and in a way that fortifies what is good and and right that You have built in our lives. As has already been voiced, thank You, Lord, that we are Yours. Thank You for the great salvation that You've given us in Your Son. Thank You that we are the objects of Your loving and faithful work. And we rejoice in that work and we ask Lord, for You to work in this next hour. We are always mindful of people who don't know You, and we ask that even tonight might be a night of mercy and grace to them. You open their eyes and deliver them from the domain of darkness and bring them into union with Your Son by faith. We ask You this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Lord has answered the questions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. He has silenced them in the previous section with questions of His own. And now in chapter 23, He does something that is vital for the souls of all those who are hearing Him. What He does is not just vital for those who are hearing Him on this day in the temple, What he says is vital for our souls 
listening to the Word of God, listening to our Lord tonight. Because what he does in this next section is he sums up the character of the kind of men who examine him, the kind of men who would seek to entrap him, the kind of men who would seek to destroy him. What kind of men are these men? What makes his diagnosis so important and necessary is that what he sees and what he says is not apparent to everyone. The constant refrain we're going to meet with in this 23rd chapter is the word hypocrite. These religious leaders are hypocrites. They wear a mask. They're not sincere men who simply fail. They are pretenders. They are deceivers. What Jesus says here, He says in the hearing of the Pharisees and the scribes. He doesn't say it for the Pharisees and scribes. He says it for the crowds. He says it for His disciples. What He gives us is the summing up of snakes. What characterizes spiritual snakes? What characterizes false religious leaders? John the Baptist, you'll remember, had referred to many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees as snakes. Matthew 3, verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Later in Matthew's account, they accused Jesus of having a demon. And in response, he describes them as a brood of vipers. Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then later in this chapter, Matthew 23, down in verse 33, our Lord says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? These are wolves in sheep's clothing. To use another analogy, these are spiritual snakes. And our Lord sums up their character. And in doing that, He teaches us about what characterizes them and how to recognize them. So tonight, what I want us to think about as we look at verses 1-12 through 12, are seven lessons about spiritual snakes. Seven lessons about spiritual snakes. The first thing we see is found in the first verse, and that is, these kind of people are to be recognized. Our God wants us, our Shepherd wants us to recognize those who are spiritual snakes. Not be caught off guard by them. Not be duped by them. Verse 1 says that Jesus spoke to the crowds and to His disciples. This is the great shepherd warning about false shepherds. This is the love of the Savior for the souls of men. As I said, this is not for the snakes. This is for those who've been hearing the snakes, who've been led by the snakes, who've been abused by the snakes. That's who this is for. And this is still the work of under-shepherds. We serve Christ on behalf of His sheep. We're called to protect Christ's sheep by making the people of God aware of what characterizes false spiritual leaders. What our Lord does here, we're called to go on doing. 
But I do want to emphasize that this is something that must be done with maturity. This is the work of local church shepherds, not YouTube pugilists, fighters. This is the work of local church shepherds, not discernment bloggers. The church is the pillar and support of the truth, not the YouTube channel, not the blog site, the church. And the reason why this is so important to recognize is because mature men are careful men. We're not to live our lives full of sinful suspicion. This is what often happens in the name of discernment. This is what happens in the name of protecting Christ's sheep when you're actually not, you've not been called to do what you're doing. You're not a pastor. You're not a shepherd. You're not called to do this. And of course, listen, we're called to do this in various realms and in various ways. Mothers and fathers shepherd their children. Heads of households, dads shepherd your family. I'm not denying that, but when we talk about being sort of an official spokesman on behalf of the church to protect the church, that's the work of local church elders. And these are to be mature men and tested men so that they are careful men, not teaching the church to live in constant suspicion, not living lives engaging in reckless accusations. A lot of what's done in the name of discernment is just reckless. Not living our lives with, without generosity in our estimation of other people, but rather with a mature discernment that simply seeks to be faithful to the chief shepherd as he wants his people protected from false shepherds. Our Lord said in Matthew 7.15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And this is what pastors do. They teach the people of God about those fruits so that they're able to recognize these snakes wherever they show up. Our Lord is teaching this to the crowds, to His disciples, precisely because He wants this type of person to be recognized. Second, not only are they to be recognized, they are self-appointed men. They are self-appointed. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to His disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. As you know, the, the sitting position was the normal teaching position in this day. We read that archaeological evidence shows that in the synagogues of this time period, there was often a seat in the front where the authoritative teacher would sit. So when Jesus talks about the chair of Moses, He's talking about the teaching position. And when He says they've seated themselves in the chair of Moses, what He's saying is they treat themselves, and want you to treat them, as though they are Moses' successors. They now teach you as though they were Moses. 
D.A. Carson comments, this would imply that the teachers of the law are Moses' legal successors possessing all his authority, a view the scribes themselves held. Hear them as if you would hear Moses. This is the position of influence they held with the people. Well, notice our Lord makes clear this was not assigned to them. This is something they took for themselves. They have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. They are not servants sent by God. They are not leaders appointed by God. They don't truly represent God. Self-appointed leaders. This is what will always be true of spiritual snakes. They've not been sent by God. They've not been gifted by God. They've not been called by God. They've not been positioned by God. They are self-appointed. Contrast this, what our Lord says here about these snakes, with what Paul was able to say to the Ephesian elders as he meets with them for the last time. Acts 20, 28, he says to those elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. You now, shepherd of blood-bought people, and he says the Holy Spirit has put you in this position. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Not self-appointed, but Spirit of God appointed and positioned. Contrast what our Lord says here about these snakes with what we recently learned in Ephesians 4, Christ's gifts to His church. Ephesians 4.11, And He, that is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Christ giving these men to His church. They're not self-appointed. They're not running on their own. Christ gave them to the church. Now you know this, but if you're talking about someone who is really a false teacher, not talking about a misguided believer, but a false teacher, you're talking about someone who is not saved. You're talking about someone, therefore, who does not have the Holy Spirit. This is how the book of Jude describes them. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Then he describes them this way, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. They don't know the Lord. They don't have the Spirit. They represent the world, which is why they cause divisions in the life of the church. These men whom the Lord Jesus is describing are lost men. As his description will go on to make clear, they don't know the Lord of whom they speak. Not chosen by God for the seat that they sit themselves in. Rather, they are self-appointed. If anybody has sent them, it's the devil. Not the Lord. Now let me make an application from this truth. A principle, I think, that applies to the Lord's church. And that is, godly men who lead the church are humble men. This is what is to characterize the church's leaders, humility. Which means they are men willing to be patient to be affirmed by the church. 
Show me a man who seeks to force his way into the church's leadership. Show me a man who tries to force his way into positions of influence, and I'll show you at best an immature man, a believer who's just grossly immature, not ready for the leadership that he desires, or I'll show you a man who's dangerous. And there are good men, godly men, who have been impatient and been reproved by the Lord and had to to accept that reproof. But there are also men in the life of the church who aspire to leadership, not for the Lord's sake and not for the Lord's glory, but for themselves. And those men are not to be put in the positions of leadership. These men are to be recognized. These men, you you can know this about them as you seek to recognize them. They are self-appointed men. They are self-willed men. They're not patient to be affirmed by others. They put themselves forward. They, They usurp places of authority. Third, spiritual snakes are not to be imitated. They are not to be imitated. Their example is dangerous. Verse three, therefore... All that they tell you, do and keep, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They teach the Word of God. They teach the Law of Moses. They don't really understand what they teach. Jesus has made that plain on numerous occasions. And they have no capacity to truly live out what they teach. If you don't know the Lord, you're not capable of obeying the two great commandments to love the Lord your God genuinely and to love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, everything these men teach from the law, they are incapable of truly living. So they say things they don't do. Therefore, they're they're not men you can follow. They're not men you can model your life after. Do not do according to their deeds, Jesus says. But He says, What they tell you, do and keep. That's not a blanket statement. That's not to say anything they tell you to do, you do it. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying, remember they've set themselves down in the seat of Moses. They're teaching the law of God. What he's saying is, to the degree they're giving you the Word of God, receive it, believe it, and practice it. But don't follow their example because they don't live what they preach. This is something amazing, really, when you study it. The New Testament emphasizes over and over again that the leaders of the church are to be imitated. That that spiritual leaders, healthy shepherds in the lives of God's people, are worthy to be imitated, not just what they teach, but how they live. Hebrews 13, verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul writes, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Why are they worthy to be imitated? Because they're not living in a way to have you look at them. They're living in a way to have you look to Christ. Their life demonstrates their devotion to Christ. Therefore, they are worthy of imitation. 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you then be imitators of me, Paul writes. 
Philippians 3.17, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Very interesting there. He says not just to follow his example, but all those who follow his example. Follow those who've taken their pattern from the apostles. Walk in their ways. Philippians 4 verse 9, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. 1 Thessalonians 1 6 says, you also, speaking of the church in Thessalonica, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 3.9, describing why he conducted his ministry the way that he did, he says, not because we do not have the right to this, talking about support, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you that you might follow our example. Earlier in the seventh verse of that same third chapter, he writes, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. And there are other verses as well. This pattern in the New Testament that the leaders of the church are to be the type of men that you, you can not only receive their teaching, you can walk in their, according to their pattern, according to their example, because their example doesn't point you to them, but to Christ. Their example is of someone who follows Christ. We've talked about this many times, how a man's potential leadership in the church is tested by his leadership at home. So this is a good question for every mom and dad in this place. If your children follow in your ways, are they on safe ground? I'm not asking, will they do what you've taught them from the Word of God? I'm asking, if they follow your practice of the Word of God, will they be on safe ground? It's a good, sobering point for examination, isn't it? For the church's leaders, but for all spiritual leadership. If, if those who follow, those who I'm called to lead, if they follow my example... Will it be good for them, healthy for them? And we're all growing in that. We know that. Nobody has a perfect example. But Lord, would you grow me so that I'll be a safe example? But these men are not to be imitated. The Word of God is to be respected and obeyed even when it's received from men who are not examples of what they teach. That's a comforting truth. Maybe somebody listening to me tonight that early in your Christian life you were learning the Word of God from men who are not sound spiritual leaders. I want to encourage you with the thought that God's love for you and His sovereignty over your life was such that He was taking care of you even when His Word was in the mouths of men who were not worthy to lead you. God's work is greater. It always transcends the instruments that He uses. And so if what you were receiving were sound words, they were sound even if they were coming forth from the mouths of men who were not sound. That's what our Lord is saying to, to this crowd. What they're teaching you from the Word of God, you respect it and you submit to it and you obey it. But don't follow their example these are men who don't know the Lord. They don't have the capacity to obey the very things they teach. Therefore, they don't obey the things they teach. They're to be recognized 
They are self-appointed men. This is one of the things you can recognize about them, not sent by the Lord. They're not to be imitated. Fourth, they are not caring shepherds. They are not caring shepherds. Verse 4, and they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Let me challenge us to think about how we read that verse. I think, I think our first instinct is to read it as though the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees were people who, who laid all these heavy burdens on people's shoulders in the form of human traditions and all the rest, but they themselves were not willing to practice the things they were teaching in terms of the traditions and all the, all the rest. That's not really what our Lord says about them, is it? In fact, He says, in one place, you're the kind of men who will tithe down to the herbs in your garden while you neglect the weightier matters of the law. The Pharisees had this reputation of respect that they had because they not only kept those traditions, or at least seemed to keep those traditions they were teaching, but even in a way that was very showy. Their fasting could not be ignored because of the way they appeared. Their giving could not be ignored because there were trumpets sounded when they did it, so to speak. Perhaps just a picturesque way of talking about how public their giving was and how much attention was drawn to them. I don't think the lesson is they teach you all those traditions that burden you down, but then they don't keep the things they're teaching you. No, I think the picture is they are burdening you down, binding on your shoulders all these things God has never laid on you. It's not the truth of His Word. It is human tradition. But then they don't care at all as they watch you collapse under the weight of it. They don't do a thing to lift the burden. They don't come along and help you at all. They aren't really shepherds. They aren't really shepherds. How do these so-called religious leaders exert influence on people? Through guilt. Through guilt. Utter indifference to the plight of people. I mean, here are men who were complaining because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Someone blind, someone who couldn't walk their entire lives. And there our Lord performs this wondrous miracle. And here are these people rejoicing because they are free. And these men have no joy over the issue. But rather are upset because Jesus is violating their traditions. Men who look down on others with disdain. No burden over their souls. God, I thank You that I'm not like this tax collector. True shepherds love the people they serve. True shepherds are known by compassion that they feel for the people that they serve. As we talked about last Sunday evening, it's not the love of this world that would ignore sin issues and wouldn't speak the hard truths. It is the heart of a shepherd that speaks the truth, but in a way that loves the one to whom it is spoken. 
Speaking the truth in love is what characterizes genuine shepherds. But not these men. They, like a beast of burden, like you would pile a bunch of stuff on a donkey and not care at all as you lead it through the streets and it's buckling under the weight of what you put on its back. That's how these men treat the people that they are supposedly shepherds to. Fifth, these are men who aim at human praise. They aim at human praise. Verse 5, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. True shepherds represent a true relationship with God. True shepherds represent genuine godliness, which is to say, genuine, in our day we would say genuine Christianity. And what marks genuine Christians, people who have a genuine relationship with God, is that we've been taught through salvation to want to please our God. That's our aim. That's our ambition. If people would approve of us, but God would disapprove of us, the approval of people would mean little to us, nothing to us. What we want is God's approval. If people would be upset with us, but God would be pleased with us, we care little about people being upset with us if it means that we're pleasing the one whom we serve. This is genuine Christianity. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm... So let me just insert this thought. So this is not pride, is it? This is not some sort of hubris that says, you know, it just doesn't matter to me what anybody thinks. No, that's not what he's saying. What he... What he's doing is, is contrasting the love of human praise with the love of God's praise. And he's saying, by comparison, what you think of me means nothing. And he makes clear this isn't pride because he says, I'm not even qualified to judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Why is Paul not qualified even to judge his own life? Because the judgment will include everything down to the intentions of our hearts. And we don't know our own hearts perfectly any more than we know each other's hearts perfectly. He says, then each one will receive his commendation from God. See, this is a man of God. This is the people of God. What we want more than anything else is to please God. 1 Peter 5, verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, this was read earlier, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Shepherd the church as God would have you shepherd the church. Not doing what you do because you feel like you have to. Not under compulsion. 
but willingly. Because you see, that's what God would have you, as God would have you to do. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The shepherd is coming. The chief shepherd is coming. And one day you're going to have his examination of your work. And he, and he, he puts that forth as a, a positive examination. You'll receive the unfading crown of glory. It's, it's a, an examination for the purpose of reward. But that's what you care about is hearing him say, you did well. That's what you're aiming at. And as I said, this is what characterizes all of us, not just the elders, not just shepherds. Romans 2.29 says, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And then he says this, his praise is not from man, but from God. What characterizes the genuine Jew? Paul thinking about his brethren according to the flesh? especially thinking about pressure the church has experienced from the Judaizers, trying to say it's Jesus plus the keeping of the law. What, what, what does it mean to be a genuine Jew? It means that your heart has been circumcised, and it means that now you're someone who's living for the praise of God, not for the praise of men. This is just genuine Christianity. Philippians 3.3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. My confidence is not in who I am and what I do. My boasting is in Christ and what He has done and what He is doing. But not these false teachers, not these snakes. He says, verse 5, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. And then he gives some examples. For they broadened their phylacteries. What is a phylactery? Well, it was a, a band with a leather container that would have verses of Scripture. Sometimes worn on the arm, sometimes worn on the forehead. It was meant to serve as a reminder of the Scripture it contained and of the God who gave that Word. And it represented the whole of life and the whole of His Word. It was a reminder that you're living your life before the face of God and for the good pleasure of God. And then what does he mean when he talks about the tassels of their garments? Well, he's actually talking about a law that was given for all of Israel. Numbers 15, verse 37, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you're inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh your God. The phylacteries meant to speak of a mind fixed on the Lord. Tassels on the garment meant to speak of being mindful of God and His commandments in all the ways of your life. A God-focused life, a God-aware life. And yet these men are wearing these tokens of a God-aware life and they're human-aware. 
They're doing what they're doing to be seen by men, to be noticed by men. This isn't for the Lord. This is for the praise of men. And that's what characterizes spiritual snakes. They do what they do for human approval. They aim to be noticed by men. But they also love to be honored by men. Verse 6, and they love the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. They loved. I want to underline that word because that's really what our Lord is after here. They loved all the honors that came along with their place of influence. Honored at banquets, honored in the synagogues, honored by respectful greetings in the marketplaces, honored by titles of respect. Teacher, rabbi, loved it, loved it, loved it. Now to be clear, the problem is not the people of God showing honor to those whom the Lord has called to serve them. The Bible teaches that. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Philippians 2.25, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger, and, and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men." where he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And these are just a few examples. The Bible teaches a proper kind of honor toward men who serve us well. The problem is when you're the kind of man who aims at that. In other words, people honoring you explains what you do and why you do it. We can say it this way, this is what you live for. You live for others to recognize you. You live for others to honor you. You don't know anything about the kind of food Jesus was talking about in John 4. John 4, verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought Him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Do you know about your heart? Do you know about a heart that's satisfied by doing the will of God? If no one recognizes it, if no one honors it, if no one makes much of it, do you know about the food, the satisfaction, the fulfillment, it comes from knowing you've done what God wanted you to do. Spiritual snakes don't know anything about that. They live for human recognition. They live for the honor that comes from people. Sixth, spiritual snakes 
aspire to the place of God. But what characterized Satan in his fall? He would be as God. What does he promise to Adam and Eve in the garden? You shall be as God. What characterizes the serpent's offspring? The desire to usurp the place of God. Verse 8, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called instructors, for one is your instructor, that is Christ. Again, this is, I believe, commonly misunderstood. This is why we don't need the sermon bloggers and the YouTube pugilists being the defenders of truth because this is where we need to read the Word of God in a mature fashion and understand what Jesus is getting at. Let me illustrate with some modern examples. Is it wrong to refer to a professor in the seminary by the title doctor? Is this kind of teaching against receiving such titles as rabbi or father or instructor? Does this mean that somehow sin is occurring if students in the seminary refer to Dr. Philpot or Dr. Anderson, or if those men don't immediately shut their mouths and go, no, call me brother. Is there a sin occurring? Is it wrong for someone to refer to one of the elders, myself, as pastor? Is that something we should just shut down? No, don't call me teacher or pastor or shepherd because we're just brethren. Is that the point? Can I tell you something? Some of the most proud people I've ever known in my 40 years of shepherding the church have been people who fixated in that kind of way. That is not what our Lord is talking about. Notice the three examples He gives and what those three examples have in common. Each example He gives, He emphasizes that the true meaning of that title belongs to just one do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher. Who is that? Who is the one who is your teacher? God. What are we? We're brothers. Don't call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called instructors, for one is your instructor, that is Christ. The first thing all three, three examples have in common is in each case, Jesus emphasizes these things belong to God and God alone. The second thing emphasized in each of the three examples is this is exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees loved. Verse 7, they love being called rabbi by men. So I think the sense of the verse, the verses would be this. The sense of our Lord's words would be this. Don't, don't ever receive those kinds of titles in a way that usurps the place of God. And don't ever offer those kinds of descriptions to men in a way that would usurp the place of God. That's the point. False shepherds do this. They, they, they aspire to the place of God in the lives of people. They don't see themselves as under-shepherds. They don't see themselves as brethren. They take to themselves a kind of influence that actually gets in the way 
of the people's relationship to the chief shepherd. They are jealous for the adoration and the love and the respect that belongs only to God. We can say it this way, they don't recognize that they're a sheep also. We, we have the privilege to get to serve our chief shepherd as shepherds in his church, but we're just sheep. As much a sheep as any other member of this church. We are brothers and sisters. And I don't want you ever to have a devotion to me or to any of the elders of this church in a way that would dishonor your singular devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. But false teachers don't mind that kind of devotion. That's the point that Jesus is making. False shepherds don't do what they do on behalf of God. They do it on behalf of themselves. Faithful shepherds do what they do on behalf of Christ. Faithful shepherds rejoice to point God's people to God. Faithful shepherds are not characterized by seeking to win disciples to themselves. Rather, you betroth the people of God to Christ Himself. As I've said before, you've heard me say it, I'll say it again, there will be no pastor section in heaven. We'll all be together in the, in the one eternal day as children of God, disciples of Jesus Christ, and brethren. There's a role that's been assigned to the elders of the church for this time, called, gifted, assigned, but never to be confused with the role of Christ. Acts 20, verse 30, Paul warns, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Beware of this, men who make their way into the life of the church and then quietly draw disciples after themselves. Galatians 4.17, they make much of you. This, this What a, an amazing statement about the Judaizers. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you make much of them. So they make over you. One of the ways they make over you is by letting you know when they really disapprove of you. And they shut you out in a way that in manipulation causes you to seek after them. These aren't shepherds. These are self-exalting manipulators. The only power of influence they have is the power of the flesh. This, their work is not the work of the Spirit of God. And so they love these titles that in their case would usurp the place of God. Jesus identifies that and He warns His people not to assign to men the place that only God deserves. Last thing that characterizes these snakes. They're to be recognized. They are self-appointed. They are not to be imitated. They don't care about the people they supposedly shepherd. They live their lives for human praise, to be noticed by men, to be honored by men. They aspire to the place of God. Seventh, this sort of summarizes all of it, doesn't it? Verses 11 and 12, they are proud. They're proud. Our Lord teaches this lesson He's taught earlier, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. 
And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. What spiritual snakes always lack is humility. Now, many of them are characterized by a false humility, by a fake humility. Even to talk down themselves, to exalt themselves. Proud of their humility. What they always distort is what it means to be great in God's estimation. Greatness in God's estimation belongs to the one who humbles himself and serves Christ by serving his people. This is why the New Testament warns about false teachers again and again by warning of pride. 1 Timothy 6.3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. I mean, the most proud thing they do is they disagree with the words of God, the words of Scripture. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Enriches himself in the name of God, loves arguments, loves disputes. Following him around is chaos because he's self-willed and proud. Jude, the 16th verse says, speaking of these false teachers, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desire. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. There it is again, making much of you so you'll make much of them. Showing favoritism to gain advantage. They don't really love you, they love themselves. They're manipulating you because they love themselves. 2 Peter 2.18 describes them this way, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Proud, vain words. This is what describes their teaching. And their teaching entices by appealing to what your flesh wants. They won't speak the hard truths of God's Word. They'll speak in a way that is sensual. It appeals to your flesh. It appeals to what you would want the truth to be if you didn't know the living God. It accords with the ways of the world. 2 Peter 2.10 says, speaking of false teachers, they indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Often, pretending to be able to live in the realm of the mysteries, in the realm of mysticism, claiming authority in the realm of angels, what is really on display is a daring kind of pride. It doesn't tremble at what humble people would tremble at. What is our Lord doing? 
He's not speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's going to do that in a moment. We'll see that beginning at verse 13. He's speaking to the sheep. He's speaking to men whose lives will be spent, His disciples whose lives will be spent shepherding His sheep. And He's summing up the character of the men who have been seeking to entrap Him and destroy Him. He'll say later in chapter 23, these are serpents. These are snakes. And He's just summed up their character because you and I are to recognize them. And the role of shepherds is to warn you of them. Aren't you grateful that our Lord loves us enough to warn us of what would destroy us? Aren't you grateful that He has given to us a resident truth teacher? The Spirit of God Himself lives in the lives of every one of God's saints so that in one sense you have no need for anyone to teach you. Yes, He's given teachers and He makes use of us, but in, in another sense, you have the resident truth teacher. And this is why God's people are kept in the truth. Oh, the, there are times that we may swerve one way or another, especially you can think about seasons of your life when you weren't under healthy teaching in ways that you believe things you shouldn't have and practice things you shouldn't have, but isn't it, isn't it telling? Isn't it gloriously comforting that He took you out of those ways of error and He stationed your feet on the straight path of truth. And He'll go on doing that for the rest of our lives. All the way home. Because the one who's really shepherding you in the ultimate sense are not your elders. We have a shepherding responsibility. But it's the chief shepherd at work through our limited abilities. Making use of them, but not dependent on them to keep all of us safe all the way home. And for that, we're grateful. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank You for the warnings that our Lord gives us. Thank You, Lord, for the ways, for the fruits by which we can recognize wolves in sheep's clothing. Help us, Lord, to be wise enough and careful enough to stay within the bounds of Your Word that we would recognize the unique place your church has in the spiritual care to be given to your people, that we would recognize the unique place that God-called, gifted, and appointed elders have and the soul care that's to be offered for your people. But Lord, while we see those things and abide in that realm, help us always to lift our eyes up and to see you. You have saved us. You keep us. You develop us. And you will, you will take us all the way home. Every single one in this room who knows You. And for this we are grateful tonight, and for this we are eternally grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.